If you have your Bibles, if you turn to Job chapter 11, if you have your smartphone, you can pretend to turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 11. For those who haven't heard the entire um, series, there was a conversation between God and Satan about the man Job, who was considered blameless and righteous in the eyes of God. But Job said that if God uh, took away his blessings, that he would curse him to his face. And on two different occasions, God permitted Satan to do that. And his wealth, his businesses, his family were taken away. And then his health. And yet God was not cursed by Job. Job was in a lot of pain. And pain can cause us to have questions and to be in despair. And I don't think that any of us are better than he, that that pain in some kinds can cause us to ask questions that maybe we ought not to necessarily ask. But he did. And then he had three friends who came to sympathize and comfort him. And initially they did a good job. They just sat there silently for seven days and seven nights. But then Job poured out his heart and his pain and his friends responded not in sympathy and comfort, but judgment. They had a narrow view of theology, which was not in itself incorrect, but it is not the whole counsel of God. And so they were convinced, like many, that when bad things happen, it's because you did something bad or evil. Because good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And that is not the teaching of the scriptures. And I find it interesting, even after the book of Job is written and explaining this in great detail and giving us wisdom that there were still those during Jesus's time who felt that sinners received cursings and the righteous received blessings. The third friend of Job now in chapter 11 speaks and it's interesting. We can see their humanity in the sense of we men generally, and you know, I don't want to be sexist in this, but we men generally want to fix things. So if there's a problem, we try to offer solutions. Ladies, on the other hand, often want to just relate and share and, and offer comfort. And I think there's, that's an appropriate at times, and especially here, because these men cannot fix it. As a matter of fact, they're so focused on their being right that they never really listen to Job and his situation. They just want to be right. But you need to remember in this teaching that when your friends come to offer you sympathy and comfort, that sometimes they just want to be right. They may have a small piece of the word of God, but they don't have the whole counsel of the word of God. 
and it may cause you additional pain and suffering. That's why you need to understand who God is. That he loves you. He cares for you. That there are things that he is doing that sometimes we don't understand, but he does so, that ultimately be for our good. So in chapter 11, starting with verse 1, it says, Then Zophar, the Mahathite, answered, Shall a multitude of words go unanswered, and a talkative man be acquitted? Shall your boasts silence men, and shall you scoff and none rebuke? Zophar starts off by saying, in essence, you, you're just a windbag. You just keep babbling on and on, trying to justify yourself. And you think the more you talk, the more we will be convinced in your rightness. Again, they're not listening. They just hear him babble. For you have said, my teaching is pure and I am innocent in your eyes. He misquotes Job. Job never says he is innocent before God. He says he's blameless. He says that he is not sinned the way they have accused him of, that he is still a man of integrity. But would that God might speak and open his lips against you and show you the secret of wisdom. For sound wisdom has two sides. Know then that God forgets a part of your iniquity. Basically, what Zophar is saying here is, you're so corrupt that the badness and the tragedies that you've suffered aren't, aren't sufficient for your sin. Now, can, this is a man who's incredibly insensitive. Here's a man who's lost everything as far as financially. He's lost his children. He's lost his health. And Zophar's answer is, yeah, be thankful because you didn't get all that you're entitled to. Wow. With friends like this, who needs enemies? Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the seas. If he passes by or shuts up or calls an assembly, who can restrain him? For he knows false men and he sees iniquity without investigation. Again, here is a part of what Zophar has to say that is true. God is awesome. God is powerful. God is all-knowing. God appears in, in all that there is, and we, even when we don't sense him, he's there. So, for instance, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is also. Have you ever really contemplated every week that as we sit in these pews and face Long Beach, and you hear me rattle on, that you actually think, well, I showed up to worship God, and I'm sure at least one other person did, therefore Jesus is here too. He's here. And that's, that's true. And, and so far is partially true. What he's saying about God is accurate. But the problem is, so far is accused. It's like Job has indigestion. And so far's remedy is cancer surgery to remove the stomach. His diagnosis and his prognosis and his 
The reality are not the same. And then he goes on. An idiot will become intelligent when the foal of a wild donkey is born a man. And as he's saying, it ain't going to happen. Once an idiot, always an idiot. If you would direct your heart right and spread out your hand to him, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and do not let wickedness dwell in your tents. So he's saying, basically, you profess to be innocent. You profess to be a wise person. You profess all of these things. You're not. But if you repent, God will bless you. Now I want to stop there. Because in essence, what he's saying is, because in his thinking, Job has sinned, therefore Job hasn't gotten everything that he deserves. But if he repents, things will be better. But the scriptures tell us, even God himself says that Job is a blameless man. But if you take so far's logic to its logical conclusion, since we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there's not one of us who's not a sinner. Then none of us should ever expect good things. If it's, and it's true, that if there's no one good but God, and there is no one good but God, then therefore we cannot expect good under their theology. Because we're all sinners, we're all corrupt. But as Romans says, but it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Jesus taught that good things happen to unrighteous and righteous, and bad things happen to righteous and unrighteous. His theology is so limited. And then, as we shared before, when the man was born blind, which I find interesting, and they say, well, who sinned? The man or his parents, I'm going, it must have sinned while in the womb. And Jesus said, no one sinned, but that the glory of God might be manifested. So there is more to the theology of what's happening than what they understand. But they want to be so right that their counsel is only limited to that one thing. They hammer it over and over and over again. You would direct your heart and right and spread out your hand to him. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away from you. And do not let wickedness well in your tent. Indeed, you could lift up your face without moral defect, and you would be steadfast and not fear. For you would forget your troubles as waters that have passed by, you would remember it. Your life would be brighter than noonday. Your darkness would be like the morning. Then you would trust because there is hope and you would look around and rest securely. You would lie down and none would disturb you and many would entreat you your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail and there will be no escape for them and their hope is to breathe their last. Now, Zophar again kind of gets it right, but he kind of misses it afar because he says, that then there would be trust because good things happen. That is not scriptural teaching. 
We trust God regardless of the circumstances. We don't trust God because good things happen. And we stop trusting God because bad things happen. We trust him. But you see, Zophar kind of sounds good. And oftentimes a lot of counseling, a lot of pastors, a lot of kind of sound good because they throw in some good stuff. But some wrong stuff, unless you know the whole counsel of God, you think the wrong stuff is also the good stuff. What a friend so far is. So far, so wrong. Then Job responds. Now, I'm not hurting like Job. And I know that there are times when you just want your friends to see that they're wrong. Sometimes it's just better to say nothing. Because if he wouldn't have responded, then there won't be the second and third round of his friends trying to tell him what to do. He just should have said silently what he's going to say to his friends because it just keeps on keeping on. So then Job responded, truly then you are the people with you wisdom will die. He's had it with them. So he goes, you think you're so smart. You think you're so wise. You're so wise that with you, all wisdom is going to die. Because you got it all. He's being facetious. But I have intelligence as well as you. And I'm not inferior to you. And who does not know such things as these? He's going, you haven't told me anything I don't know. So what good are you? I am a joke to my friend. Again, I keep going back to this. The point of his friends coming here was to sympathize and to comfort him. And he says, basically, I'm considered a joke to you guys. Have you felt like that? That your friends just seem to laugh at you? Rather than understand and comfort? I'm a joke to my friends. The one who calls on God and he answered him, the just and the blameless man is a joke. It's going, guys, I have believed God. I have worshiped him. I have trusted him. But you still call me a joke. He is, he who is at ease holds calamity and contempt as prepared for those who slip, whose feet slip. The tents of the destroyers prosper and those who provoke God are secure, whom God brings into their power. But now ask the beasts and they will let them teach you and the birds of the heavens and let them tell you or speak to the earth and let it teach you and let the fish of the sea declare to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this and whose hand is life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Basically, Job responds and says, wait a minute, guys. If it is true what you say and that the only theology is the rich retribution principle, then how come you can observe in life that really bad people do really good stuff, get really good stuff? They have tents and they're wealthy and, they're, and they have pleasures beyond belief. If, if only 
bad things happen to good, bad people, then how come these people throughout history have been blessed? He's saying, what you're saying does not match reality. But he's saying all of the creation understands who God is. Does not the ear test words as the palate tests its feet, tastes its feet. He's saying, I'm listening to you and your words don't pass the test. It's like eating crummy food or tasteless food. Wisdom is with aged men, with long life is understanding. He's saying, the problem with youth is it's wasted on the young. As you get older, you start to understand things. You start to experience things. You make decisions. You have dis mistakes. You learn not to make those mistakes again. So then in the future, when you tell the next generation, I made that mistake, don't do it, they go, <laughs> Sometimes it takes wisdom of growing through the experience. And he goes, that's what's going on. So he's now going to, Job is now going to turn from basically speaking to his friends. He's going to start talking to God, which is what he should be doing all the time. Because his friends can't help. His friends aren't physicians who can cure his disease. His friends, though he's not asked for them, cannot do a GoFundMe page to replace his wealth. And nobody's talking about his kids. God is the only one who can deal with his hurt and his tragedies and his questions because obviously his friends have been measured and fallen short. With him are wisdom and might. You guys are a bunch of idiots. You're the ones who talked about can, when an idiot can change is when a donkey is born a man. That's not happening and you guys are still donkeys. With him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. Behold, he tears down and it cannot be rebuilt. He imprisons a man and there is no release. Behold, he restrains the waters and then they dry up. And he sends them out and they inundate the earth. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The, and I wish he would hear himself. With him, God, there is strength and sound wisdom. Which means... Whatever is happening, God knows. The misled and the misleaders belong to him. He's going, those who get misled and those who are doing the misleading all belong to God. He makes counselors walk barefoot and makes fools of judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their loins with a girdle. He makes priests walk barefoot and overthrows the secure ones. Basically says, God is sovereign of the universe. He's sovereign of all mankind. Whether you're a king or you're a priest who can't even afford a pair of sandals. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the sermon of the elders. He pours contempt on nobles and loosens the belt of the strong. He reveals the mysteries of darkness and brings the depths of darkness into light. He makes the nations great and then destroys them. He's saying God is so powerful he could raise a nation, for instance, like Israel, from a single man who had trouble having a child to a nation, to great nations who can then bring down. He enlarges the nations and leads them away. 
He deprives of intelligence the chiefs of the earth's people and makes them wander in a pathless waste. Sometimes when you think our leaders, whatever decade you're talking about, whether you voted for the person or not, when you think they're making really bad decisions, pray God might, might give them wisdom because God is the one who gives wisdom. and makes them wander in a pathless waste. They grope in darkness and no light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. He said, God not only can affect the individual, he affects nations, he affects leaders. Behold, my eye has seen all of this. He's going, I've lived long enough. I've seen good things happen, and I've seen bad things happen. I've seen nations rise, and I've seen nations fall. And if any of you are approaching my age, you've seen the same thing. There used to be a, a uh, power called the Soviet Union. Now it's called Russia. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. He's going, you guys, you guys aren't helping. You haven't told me anything secret. You haven't revealed anything to me I don't know. I am not inferior to you. You see, their council has been looking down on him. Have you ever felt that way? That your friends don't really look at you as an equal? They treat you as an inferior? But I would speak to the Almighty. I'm going to talk to God. And I desire to argue with God. But you smear with lies. And you are all worthless physicians. Again, like I said, he's basically said, I have indigestion and you want to take out my stomach because of cancer. Oh, that you would be completely silent and that it would become your wisdom. The first seven days and seven nights, they were wise. They kept their mouth shut. There is a saying that is so true. It is better to remain silent and let them think you're a fool than open your mouth and rid, rid all doubt. And that's basically what his three friends have done. He go, you guys would have been better off if you just stayed silent. Then I'd have thought you were great friends, and I would have thought you were really wise. But instead, you've opened up your mouth, and not so. Please hear my argument, and listen to the contentions of my lips. Notice, this is now, if you will, the fourth time. He cried out his pain. Bildad said something. He answered him. Bilfar says, answer. He keeps on speaking and they don't hear. And you know the same way in your own life. And you know in the same way in yourself. Think of the last time you had a, a serious conversation with somebody. What happens is this you make a point and they start responding. And as soon as they start responding with a particular point, you, in essence, stop listening and start preparing your response. And so you talk, they talk, you talk, they talk, and you never meet because you're not listening to one another. You just want to talk. And basically, Job is saying, friends, guys, you're not listening to what I have to say. Will you speak what is unjust for God? And speak what is deceitful for him. 
Will you show partiality for him? Will you contend for God? Will it be well when he examines you? And he said, okay, you put me on the, on the examination table, and you say, basically, I'm a sinner. Let's look at you. Are you perfect? Are you sinless? Are you God, like God, good like God, because there's no one good but God? Or it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Are you exempt from this? Or will you deceive him as one deceives a man? He's saying, are you going to say that I'm, I'm innocent? I'm, I'm not a sinner? He will surely reprove you. If you secretly show partiality, will not his majesty terrify you and the dread of him fall on you? This is an important subpoint. So many people think that when they stand before God, that they'll be able to say how good their lives were, that in comparison, their good outweighed their bad, and therefore God should let them into his heaven. His majesty, without the blood of Christ, is terrifying. You won't be able to speak. Because God is not a man. Your memorable sayings are proverbs of ashes. Thinking, you're going you're gonna, you think you're wise now. Wait till you talk in front of God. Your defenses are defenses of clay. They fall apart. Be silent before me so that I may speak. Then let come on me what may. He's saying, guys, just shut up. Let me talk. And God will respond. And God will do what God does. Let it come what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job in his pain and despair is all over the map. He starts out saying, I wish I were never born. I don't understand, God, why you ever created me. Then he goes, kind of goes to, God, I just wish you would take me out. Just kill me. Just let me die. Let no, nothingness happen. And he's arguing with God, God, you're not fair because I'm blameless. I haven't done these things, and yet everybody accuses me, and all of these things happen to me. It seems, God, that you're unfair. But through all this pain, there are times when he twinkles the right understanding. And the understanding is, even though God would slay him, his only hope is in God. His hope is not in his friends. His hope is not in himself. His hope is in God. And whatever God does, even if God kills him, his hope is in God. It's not in the circumstances. It's not in being proved right. It's not in being getting more blessings. It's trusting him and having that hope in him. And I want you to understand this. I'll, I'll, I'll share that a little bit. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. There are those who, who think that this translation is a little off because it's not that he's hoping, in essence, he's contending. I believe that, that there's hope here. But the hope is, but God, I still want to talk to you. I still want to argue with you. I, I, I will trust you even though you kill me. 
but I'm, I'm not who they say I am. And if you've ever been accused of things that you didn't do, or that your character is anything less than what it is, then you just want somebody to say, we were wrong. And that, that's, you say, God, I don't understand. I, I just want to, I want to argue with you. This also will be my salvation. For a godless man may not come before his presence. So in essence, he's saying, look it. My hope is in him, even though he slays me. And I can argue before him because I am a blameless man. I am not a godless man. So I will be able to come into his presence. Listen carefully to my speech and let my declaration fill your ears. Behold, now I have prepared my case. I know that I will be vindicated. Who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. He's saying, if I just can talk to you, God, you just let me hear, hear me, and I can present my case that I'm blameless. And again, he's arguing and contending with God that he doesn't need to. Because when the book started, it said he's blameless. God himself declares him blameless. He's trying to argue with God for something that God doesn't condemn him for. It's the same as us. The scripture says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't need to argue with God because he's made us righteous because of Jesus. It's like arguing about whether Andrew Jackson did something wrong in the War of 1812. It doesn't matter. It's history. Only two things do not do to me. Then I will not hide from your face. Remove your hand from me and let not the dread of you terrify. I want to talk to you, God, and I want to pour out my heart. But just, just don't do two things. Don't remove your hand. And do not let your dread terrify. Then call and I will answer. When I was a young man, I thought heaven was boring. And because everybody who ever talked about heaven made it sound boring. Now, hell sounded really terrible, and I didn't want to go there. So, kind of, it's kind of like, oh, God, you know, was there a third option? Heaven sounds boring. Hell, I don't want to beat that. So maybe I could just disappear. Maybe, maybe there's a third option. But there isn't a third option. There's only two. But you see, everybody who ever told me about heaven was so wrong. I don't care anything about the streets of gold. I don't play a mu musical instrument, so learning to play a harp doesn't really thrill me. But then I fell in love with God. And understand heaven, whether they're streets of gold or not, whether people play harps or not, 
and whether the things that they always talked about that sounded so boring do or don't exist. The fact is, heaven is a place of dwelling with God, and I want to dwell with him in his house forever. And hell, no matter how hot it may be and how punishing it may be, the greatest punishment in hell is the absence of the presence of God. Then call, and I will answer, or let me speak, then reply to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? He's going, okay, show me. Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? And he doesn't. You see, again, it doesn't matter how he feels. His feelings are wrong. Because God loves him, and if God is showing you and me, that a blameless man cannot curse God regardless of the benefits or the detriment. Will you cause a driven leaf to tremble or will you pursue the dry chaff? For you write bitter things against me and make me to inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and you watch all my paths. You set a limit for my soles of my feet while I am decaying like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. He's, again, he's pouring how he feels. And let me tell you, God can shoulder how you feel. But your feelings are not necessarily reality. And so Job has gone from, though he slay me, I will trust him, to God... I'm innocent, so show me where I'm not innocent. Let me be able to stand and, and argue with you, but I don't, I don't want to be terrified of you, and I want your hand upon me. But then he's going to, the pain will cause him to again go into despair. Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he becomes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. You also open your eyes on him and bring him into judgment with yourself. Who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one except God. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and his limits you have set so that you, that he cannot pass. Turn your gaze from him that he may rest until he fulfills his days like a hired man. Basically, Job is saying, there was a time that I really enjoyed life. But now, life feels hard. Like working for somebody else. They determine when I clock in and when I clock out. Life is drudgery. He said, I'm, I'm like now, well, I enjoyed life now, it's like being an employee. For there is hope for a tree. When it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and its shoots will not fail. Though its roots grow old in the ground, and its stump dies in the dry soil, at the scent of water it will flourish, 
and put forth spring sprigs like a plant. He's saying, in life, you can take a tree, you can cut it down, as long as it has roots and just a little bit of water, it can grow again. He didn't use this example. Try to get rid of bamboo. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. So, so in, a, in a tree, since he goes, in this life, it can, it can come back. It's still the same tree. I want you to understand. It's not a new tree. It's the same tree. When it's cut down, it was sprouting, and its shoots will not fail. Though its roots grow old in the ground, and it goes. But man dies and lies prostrate. Man expires, and where is he? As waters evaporate from the sea and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise until the heavens are no longer. And he will not awake nor be aroused out of his sleep. Now, I'm going to disagree with a lot of theologians on this point. They're going to say that the people of the Old Testament didn't understand resurrection. The people of the Old Testament didn't necessarily understand the resurrection like we do because Jesus rose from the dead. He arose from the dead physically. There was a belief that there would be a resurrection. It went back as far even before Abraham, but when Abraham said, I'm going to give you this land. And Abraham asked, well, how do I know? Basically, when you've been dead 400 years, you'll see it. Which means... Abraham lives again. He may not have understood that his body would be resurrected, but he understood that this is not all that there is. Because if this is all that there is, you do good to hope that God will bless you, but if the rules are it doesn't matter, then, then it doesn't matter. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. They were sad, you see. There was this sense that their argument was, well, if it's not contained in the first five books of the Law of Moses, it doesn't happen. I just quoted one of the five books where it talks about it. Jesus is always, and God is always saying, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. He didn't say I was. He says I am which meant they were still there. I disagree. They may not have had the complete understanding that we did, but they understood the resurrection. Now, I think partially what he's doing is like what I said. I was doing. If God is how he's feeling God is, then maybe I don't want to be there. Because if he's that capricious now, is he capricious in the resurrection. And again, as I read to start the service, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The scriptures teach a resurrection. It may not be as fully as we understand it, because even Martha, when Jesus was about to, and Mary, when he was about to raise Lazarus, they go, do you believe in the resurrection? Yeah, we know in the last day. 
Even before Jesus rose from the dead, there was a belief in a resurrection. They just weren't sure. Jesus showed us more that there is a bodily resurrection, not only just a spiritual soul one. That Paul gives us even more information that we will have a new body that's not subject to pain and death and all of these things. Oh, that you would hide me and show the place of the dead, that you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you. He said, take me out. When you're done being mad with me, then it'll be okay. That you would set a limit for me and remember me. When a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my sing, I'm sorry, of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. You see, there's still this hope. He's going, I'm feeling hopeless, but there's hope. I'm feeling hopeless, but there's hope. Though I feel you're unjust, my only hope is in you. Though I feel like the only things that survive are things of earth, but you'll change. You'll change me. Things will happen. You will call, and I will answer. You will long for the works of your hands. For now you number my steps. You do not observe my sins. My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and you wrap up my iniquity. But the falling mountains crumbles away, and the rock moves from its place. Water wears away stone, its torrents wash away the dust of the earth. So you destroy man's hope, you forever overpower him, and he departs. You change his appearance and send him away. His sons achieve honor, but he does not know it. Or they become insignificant, but he does not perceive it. But his body pains him, and he mourns only for himself. Again, he's so wrapped up in his pain, he's going... I'm hurting so much, it just doesn't, the future just doesn't matter. When I'm dead, I'm gone. It's over. And yet he keeps understanding that God is the one who numbers his days. God is the one who is there to change things. God is the one, when God calls, he will answer. So, what can we understand from Job from this? That your feelings can't be trusted. Do you have a right to feel that way? Certainly. You allow your feelings to then change who God is? Certainly not. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. One last little example. There's a movie that I'm not overly wild about. It's okay, a movie. But there's one scene that has always captured me. And it's a scene from a movie called An Officer and a Gentleman. And these two men go into the military hoping to be um, aviators. And this one person, kind of a mess up all of his life and fails things and fails things and fails things. Kind of a mess up even in the military. And his master sergeant is trying to get him to quit, which is what he always does anyway. He just quits. And he does all of these things demanding of him, both physically and emotionally, to get him to quit. 
And finally, he just tells the message on, just quit. Why don't you quit? And his response is, I can't. I have nowhere else to go. That's how I feel with God. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I have nowhere else to go. It's God or nothing. Because God is God. God is a God who loves me and loves you. God loves me so much and loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to take away the sin that these people are talking about and why people ought to be suffering because of their sin. God took that away by saying, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. You don't need to worry when bad things happen. Say, well, God, why are you mad at me? I'm not. I gave my son for you. Why would I do that? Maybe these things happen that we might trust him more. Or maybe these ha things happen because we just make dumb mistakes. Maybe we made a wrong turn on a one-way road going the wrong way. Or maybe these things happen that God, God might be glorified in our lives. Jesus tells us it is more blessed to suffer for righteousness for his name's sake. And the scriptures say in James that we are more blessed to suffer not as evildoers, but those are who are righteous. So maybe when we fall under these circumstances that seem unfair, our first response should be, God, I know you love me. What you teaching me? What are you showing me? Because I know I can trust you. And I will trust you today. And I will trust you tomorrow. And I will trust you the day after that. And the day after that. Now, it is easy to say, I will trust God for the rest of my life. Easy to say, harder to do. The best thing to do. Today, when you wake up, to say, this morning, I will trust you, God. At lunchtime, the rest of the day, I will trust you, God. And we go to lay our heads on the pillow. God, I will trust you for the rest of the evening. And the next day, God, I will trust you this morning. Because that's how we can accomplish our trust in God. It's not, I will be a rock of faith for the rest of my life. No, I will just be a rock of faith. For the next 15 minutes and all God's people said.